0: First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. If you have your Bibles today, church, and I hope you do, would you turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. This is the third Sunday of 2021. It's also the third Sunday in this uh, teaching series called Rhythms, where we've been talking about some of the healthy God-given rhythms for life that we need to reestablish in this new year. Uh, so far, we've talked about the rhythm of our devotional life. Uh, we've talked about the rhythm of worshiping together with the people of God. Uh, today, we're going to look at another very important rhythm, the rhythm of our family lives. And uh, what is so interesting about this rhythm is Uh, that we're looking at today is that while the rhythms we looked at so far in this series could have been uh, negatively impacted perhaps by uh, the pandemic last year, in some ways this rhythm that we're talking about today could have been positively impacted by uh, the pandemic in 2020. We know that last year COVID-19 turned some things upside down, but it is possible that it also turned a few things right side up. And I think for many of us that that is true when it comes to the rhythm of our homes and the rhythm of our family lives. I know that everyone is talking about things getting back to normal and how great it will be when it gets back to normal, and of course it will be, but there may be some areas where we don't need to get back to normal. If normal means going back to doing everything exactly as we did it before the pandemic came. I believe that uh, the Lord wanted to show us a few things last year, and there are some lessons that he wants us to carry forward with us as we move ahead. I believe we'll see a few of those areas in God's Word today. As with every message in this Rhythm Series, we're starting in Colossians, and uh, we'll be in Colossians 3, and a little bit later we'll spend a few minutes also in Deuteronomy as well. But let's begin by reading from Colossians 3, a very simple and a very to-the-point description from the Apostle Paul of the Christian family. Colossians 3, beginning in verse 18, says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be bitter towards them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers... Do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the gift of family. And we pray today that you would teach us. Father, you would open our eyes to the truth of your word. Father, we pray even as we leave this place today that we would do so with a greater heart, a greater commitment, Father, to live out by your grace The roles that you have given to us in our households. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If a person is, in fact, new in Christ, the very first place that that should show up is in their home and with their family. Colossians 3 and 4 is written to Christians. It's written to the church. And it's all about how we should live as new people in Christ in every area of our lives. In the verses we just read, Paul gives, again, very succinct instructions to every member of the family about what a distinctively Christian household should look like. And so that's where we're going to start. Because in order to have healthy rhythms in our family life, then by God's grace, we have to get a couple of things right. And here is the first thing we need to get right. If we want to have a healthy rhythm in our family life, we must honor God with our roles. We must honor God with our roles. Now, this is not the only place in the Word of God where uh, Paul speaks about the family and the roles in the family. Over in Ephesians chapter 5 and 6, you'll find a very similar list to this. Uh, but in Ephesians, it is very much expanded. Uh, He he spends a great deal more time on these roles than he does here in Colossians 3. In some ways, this is like the Cliff Notes version of what Paul writes to the Ephesians uh, in that letter. But in both Colossians and Ephesians, he walks through all the uh, roles in the family, and he does so by breaking the relationships in the family down into pairs. And so out of the two uh, pairs of relationships in the immediate family, Paul starts with the most intimate. And the most important relationship in the family, the relationship between husbands and wives. And he calls husbands and wives respectively to love and submission. If you look in verse 18, he starts with the wives and he says, wives submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Uh, Because of how really misunderstood and maligned this concept of submission is, is in our culture, I always feel like I need to start with all of the things that this is not saying. Uh, And so first of all, this is not saying that God's design for marriage is that husbands should be like dictators or tyrants in their home, or that wives should simply be silent or be some type of a doormat. The word submit here means to come under the authority or the leadership of someone else. It also does not say that all women are to submit to all men or that wives are to submit to every husband in the world. It says that wives are to submit to their own husband, the one who belongs to them, as we'll see, the one who should love them with a self-sacrificing kind of love and lay down his very life for her. Now, even with that said, I fully understand that in our culture, this, uh, this concept is highly offensive and outdated and patriarchal. It is seen by our society as, in fact, a relic of a former age that should be discarded. But notice that there is nothing in this text that indicates that these instructions are only for the first century. There's nothing here that indicates that these words are not just as relevant in the 21st century as they were in the first century. The God who invented marriage, the God who gave us his word, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his design for marriage has not changed. I think part of the pushback against what uh, the Bible says here, it it really stems from a misunderstanding that believes that submission automatically equals inequality. Our our world says that if you submit to someone, if you follow someone else's lead, then that means that you must not be as valuable as they are. You must not be worth as much as they are. You must somehow be less than them. But, But that is emphatically not The case. The Bible is very clear from the very first chapter in Genesis chapter 1 that both men and women are created equally in the image of God. That men and women are of equal value, equal worth, equal dignity, that we both bear God's image. And in fact, an example of differences of role. And yet equality in worth and value is seen even in the very God that we worship, our triune God. Of course, we know that the Lord Jesus is equal in dignity, equal in worth with the Father. He told Thomas, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And yet Jesus submitted himself to the authority of the Father and even prayed in the garden the night before he died on the cross, not my will, but your will be done. And clearly, it's possible to have different roles, even among two equal people. So this does not mean inequality. It does not mean servitude. It doesn't mean any of that. And so what then does it mean? Well, it means that in the home, God who has ordered the home and arranged the home has given husbands the responsibility to lead. And he has called on wives to respect their husbands, to follow their lead, insofar as they are not leading them into sin. God's good design in the home is for husbands and wives to not be pulling against one another and going in opposite directions, but His design is for husbands to lead as the head of the home, hopefully in a God-honoring way. Ephesians 5 tells us that when wives follow their husbands, that they're really giving a picture of the gospel to the world. They're giving a picture of the way that the church follows Jesus Christ. I love the final phrase in verse 18 where it says, as is fitting in the Lord. That's what all of this is about, isn't it? Living out these roles that God has given us because we want to do in our homes what pleases him, the one who saved us, the one who died for us and loved us. Now, before I move on, just, just a word of advice to husbands about this. Uh, it usually does not work out well if you try to be the one that reminds your wife of their need to submit, all right? And so on your way home from church today, please do not say, did you hear what that preacher said? He talked about submitting, and woman, you best be submitting, right? Let's, let, can you just not do that, right, on the way home today? Uh, I, I, trust me, that's not going to work out well for you. Th- this is the Lord's command for her, not your command for her. The Lord does have a command for you and for me, and it is one that is so simple and yet one that we so often fail to live out. Look at verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. Husbands, love your wives. It doesn't get simpler than that. But the word for love that's used here is the Greek word agape. Out of all the Greek words for love, it is the strongest. It's the word that refers to the love that God has for us. A love that caused the Lord Jesus Christ to walk up the hill of Calvary. In Ephesians 5, it's the love of Christ for his bride, for the church, that is held up as the ultimate example of the kind of love that we should have as husbands for our wives every day. And yet, because Paul knows what sinners we all are, he knows that sometimes we're guilty of doing the exact opposite of loving our wives. That's why he gives us a warning in the second half of that verse. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. I like how the ESV translation puts that. It says, do not be harsh towards them. You know, the two parts of this verse are connected they're they're related when a husband is not loving his wife as he ought to it is easy for him to begin to be irritated with his wife maybe even to begin to keep a list going in his mind of all of the ways that his wife is letting him down and failing to hold up her end of the bargain and because at that time at least his focus is not on loving and sacrificing for his wife but all of the ways that his wife is not sacrificing for him It is easy for bitterness to start to creep into a man's heart. And when bitterness and anger begin to creep into a man's heart, it is not long before that bitterness and anger comes out of his mouth. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The verse says, do not be harsh towards your wife. It's sad as I reflect on this, how often... I've been disobedient to that command. And, and I know that whenever I'm even a little harsh or rough with the words that I use towards my wife, the way that I respond to her, it, it's hurtful to her. There, there are many times where I have to go and apologize to my wife, Megan, and ask forgiveness of her, ask forgiveness of the Lord. Maybe, maybe there's a husband here who would say, you know what, I, I need to do that too. Maybe, maybe you're remembering a time you've been rough or harsh with your wife. I don't, maybe it was on the way here this morning. Maybe it was last night. Maybe it was this past week. And you need to reach out to her. I I pray, friend, that you'll do that and not put that off. We're called not to be harsh or bitter towards our wife, but again, to love them, to love them with our words, to love them with our time. And so, men, as we talk about healthy rhythms in our family life this year, let's make that one of our healthy rhythms, that we spend time with our wives. Let's take the lead in that. Scheduling time with our wives. Scheduling date nights with them. Times to get away. Let's spend time with them by taking an interest in things that they like. You know, when I think about that word interest, I think about the word Pinterest. Sounds similar. I'm sure, men, that you're probably not as interested in Pinterest as your wife is, but pretend like you are. Because she's probably not as interested in your favorite NFL team as she pretends like she is. But we need to take an interest in what interests our spouse. We need to love them, not just with our words, but with our lives. And so men, let's strive to do that this year, to lay down our lives for our wives, to love them with a sacrificial kind of love. Of course, we know that in the home, there isn't just the relationship between husbands and wives. There's also another pair of relationships, and that's the one between parents and children. And he calls on parents and children, respectively, to encouragement and to obedience. Look again at what he says in verse 20. He says, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Now, this statement, of course, comes from the fifth commandment in the ten commandments that God gave to Moses, where he said, honor your father and your mother. Now, I am sure, as um, in spite of how engaging the, the preacher is, that there are kids in our services that sometimes feel uh, like what is being said or communicated is not as much for them as maybe for their moms and their dads. I know that because I have kids that, that tell me that in, in love and kindness and grace, but, but kids, the verse that we just read was not written for your moms and your dads. It was written directly to you. It was written to children growing up in the household with, with their parents. And so I want to speak to you for just a minute. This verse says, Obey your parents in everything. Now, I know that you are thinking right now, Okay, I need to obey my, my parents all the time, except for sometimes. Right? I need to obey my parents all the time except for when they tell me to turn off my Xbox or my Switch because I should be able to play for as long as I want to, right? Maybe you're saying I should obey my parents all the time except for when they tell me to clean my room because that's ridiculous. I shouldn't have to clean my room. I know where everything is in that room, even if it would require the jaws of life to get you out of that room. That's how you feel. Maybe you're thinking, I should obey my parents all the time except for when they give me chores to do because none of my friends have to do any of those chores. I should obey my parents all the time except for when they say to go to bed because my bedtime is way too early. It's much earlier than Johnny's is. Is that what it says? No, you, you know that I'm being silly, right? It doesn't say any of that. There are no accepts in this verse at all. It says, obey your parents in all things and I love the way that verse ends it says for this is well pleasing to the Lord and kids that means that when you don't obey your parents that that is not pleasing to the Lord but it also means that when you do obey your parents it is pleasing to the Lord that the Lord sees that he sees your heart of obedience your desire to want to honor and obey your mom and your dad and that not only pleases your parents but it pleases the Lord who sees that now just like your just like for your parents just like for your mom and for your dad it is hard sometimes to obey and sometimes just like your parents make mistakes and just like they fail and sin against the Lord. Sometimes you do that as well. And maybe, maybe you're kind of seeing and experiencing right now how hard it is for you to obey your mom and your dad all the time. And maybe God wants to use that to open your eyes and to help you to understand how much you need a Savior. Because we all do. Your mom and your dad needs a Savior, and every boy and every girl in this room needs a Savior too. And maybe that's something even to talk with your mom or your dad about even, even today. I know there's some kids in this room who have already trusted in Jesus as their savior, but even still, just like your parents, you're gonna need God's grace every day in order to live out his word. And sometimes you're gonna fail. Sometimes you're gonna fall short. But I hope you hear me. God never stops loving you. Isn't that awesome? He doesn't stop loving you because his love for you is not based on how good you are. His love for you is based on how good he is. And so when we mess up, we confess it, and we ask his forgiveness, and we ask God for his help to obey and to live in a way that pleases him. We've talked about what Paul says to children here, but just like with the relationship between husbands and wives, he has something to say to both sides of this relationship. He also speaks to parents, specifically to fathers. Look at verse 21. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now the word provoke there means to irritate your kids. It means to make your kids resentful of you. And then he says, lest they become discouraged. And that means exactly that. Lest you bring them to a point where they feel discouraged, where they feel like giving up, where they feel like there's no point in trying to obey mom and dad because I can never please them no matter how hard I try, no matter what I do. And, And I think there's a lot of ways that we as parents and fathers in particular can be guilty of doing that. We, we can do that when instead of correcting our kids' behavior, we attack them and demean their person, who they are. We can provoke and discourage them when we never acknowledge anything that they do right. And the only time they hear us talk is when we've seen them do something wrong. We can do that when we tell them, and I pray we never do, we tell them they're not good enough, or they don't measure up, or we compare them with their siblings and create rivalries in the family that don't need to be there. We can frustrate and cause them to be resentful. And we don't spend any time with them. And we don't listen to them without a phone in our hand and hear what's on their heart. Treat them as people that are created in the image of God, that he loves every bit as much as he loves us. Our kids need to know that they matter, that they matter to us, that they matter to God. They need to know that we love them. They should never wonder about that because they should hear it and they should see it and they should feel it every day. I know that we need to create boundaries. We need to discipline our kids. That's a part of how we Love our kids according to the word of God. But that discipline and that correction should happen in an atmosphere and in an environment of grace. Part of how we communicate grace and create that atmosphere of grace with our kids is we admit that we need grace. And we admit when we've messed up. That's humbling to do, isn't it? Moms and dads, right? When you have to go to your child and ask their forgiveness because you blew it. But it's so important to do that for them to understand. Even my mom and my dad, they need grace too. We communicate grace to them when we correct them, and as we correct them, we're motivated by grace and by love, not by anger and frustration as we go down the hallway to put them to bed for the 18th time at night, and really what's in our heart is anger and frustration because we're not able to have peace and quiet like we want. We need to make sure that when we correct and discipline our children that what is motivating us is love and grace. And then, of course, we want to do everything we can to point them to the grace that is only found in Christ. Because at the end of the day, our goal is not to produce little Pharisees who do everything right, but their hearts are far away from Jesus. Our goal as moms and dads should be to present the gospel to our children in a winsome way that they would come to know Christ be changed by his grace and desire from the heart to obey him and serve him with their lives. That's why I love so much what Paul says over in Ephesians in the parallel passage to this passage in Colossians. Here's what Paul says to fathers there. He says, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. That should sound familiar. But bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. So yes, there is a negative action that we're not to take. We're not to provoke them. We're not to discourage them. But there's also a positive action that we are to take. That we are to bring up our children in the training of the Lord, to do everything we can to point them to Jesus. And so with the time that we have left, I want you to turn with me over to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Because this text gives us a few practical ways that we can do just that to point our children to the Lord. This passage in Deuteronomy was written by Moses at the end of his life. After the children of Israel had wandered for 40 years in the desert, right before they were about to go into the promised land. And Moses is giving them some final important instructions Before that happens, look at it with me. Deuteronomy 6, verse 1. Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So in Colossians, we saw one of the two things we need to do if we want to establish a healthy rhythm of family life. We need to honor God with our roles. But here in Deuteronomy, we find the second thing, which is equally important. We also want to honor God with our commitments, with our commitments. While we don't have time to walk through this whole passage, there, there are a couple primary commitments that I want us to think about. Primary commitments that I pray will be a part of the rhythm of our family life this year. And so in 2021, let's be families who are committed, first of all, to loving God with all our hearts. Look with me at verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. You know, when Jesus was asked one time what the most important commandment was in all the Bible, what the greatest commandment was, this is the verse that he quoted. He said, that right there that we just read is the most important commandment in, all the Bible. In fact, he said that you can take all of the other commandments and you can hang them like a coat on a hook on that commandment right there and one that is just like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And this certainly is true for us as individual Christians. We want to love the Lord our God with all of our heart. But this commandment was given here in Deuteronomy 6 in the context of Moses speaking to believing households and believing families. That's why in verse 2, he tells them that these commandments should be passed down to their sons and to their grandsons. That's why in verses 7 to 9 that we're going to look at in a moment, he says, all of these words that I've given you, you need to impress them upon your children. And so this wasn't just given to moms and dads. This was given to all of us that we need to lead our families to love the Lord, our God, with all of our hearts. Because here is the truth. The place where we're supposed to first learn to love God with all our hearts is at home. And for that to be the case for our homes to be places where our children learn to love God with all their heart, then our lives and our families and our homes need to be centered around our love for God. And friend, right now, is that the case in your home and in your family? This relates to everything we've been talking about so far in this series. Does your family prioritize worshiping God with the people of God? Or is the church far below everything else on your priority list? Is it below sports? Is it below school? Is it below Disney World? Is it below everything else? Is God talked about in your home regularly? Is he rarely mentioned There are so many other questions that we could ask ourselves just as kind of a a test, a check to see if we really are all about the love of God. Is the Bible regularly read in your home? Are the things on your TV honoring to God in the midst of your home? Do you open up your home to others and those who don't know the Lord? Or is that even on your radar right now? And listen, I'm not asking these questions just of you and, and your family. I'm asking these questions of me and my family too. Because sometimes even when you're a family that wants to love God with all of your heart and mind and soul and strength, as ours does, there are times where it is easy to get distracted. Where it's possible, as it says in Revelation, for your first love to grow cold. And if you want to rekindle that love for God in your home and in your family, we've got to have one more commitment this year. This year. Let's be families who are committed to filling our homes with the word of God. That's what the end of this passage in Deuteronomy 6 is all about. He starts out in verse 6 by saying that before the word of God can fill our home, it needs to fill our heart. Look at verse 6 with me. He says, These words which I command you today shall be in your heart He's saying he wants his word to be in the very, like, tattooed to our spirit, to our essence, to be at the very core of who we are. And for that to happen, of course, we need to be spending time in the word every day. I know we're about two weeks in right now to the 28-day challenge I gave two Sundays ago about having a daily time alone with the Lord for 28 days until the end of January to establish that habit in our lives of being in the Word, it's been so encouraging to see even people commenting online about doing that, having never done that before in your in your life, and yet developing that that habit. Maybe you're sitting here and you're kind of feeling guilty. You want to put your head on because you missed a few days here or there. Listen, start today. Start again tomorrow. Every day is a new day with the Lord. Let's spend that time with Him. Let's fill our hearts with His Word, and then let's seek to fill our homes. With His word. Look at verses seven to nine. That's what that's all about. You shall teach them these words diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand that shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. There's so much here to talk about, but we need to move quickly. If we want to fill our homes with the word, our families with the word, we need to, first of all, we need to teach it. Verse 7, he says, teach them diligently. And that phrase, teach them diligently, is actually just one word in Hebrew. And it's a word that refers to sharpening the tip or the point of an arrow. The way that it's used here, it, it, it means to, to teach the word in a penetrating way. It's why the NIV says, impress these words upon your children. That's the idea. I think for that to happen, there has to be regular, systematic teaching and reading of the Word of God in the home. If if your kids are young, that is the best time and place to start. And it doesn't have to be complicated. There are so many wonderful children's Bibles that you can get. Get one that's appropriate to the stage and age of your child and just begin reading that. Read, Read a story each night. Make that a part of your bedtime routine. And you know, even if you're just moderately Consistent with doing that. Your kids will start to hold you accountable to that. That's what happened with my kids, right? If, if I try to put them to bed without they would say, Dad, we haven't read the Bible yet, we can't go to bed. That's what you want, right? You want that to feel this is just what we do. And then as they get older, sometimes, we, well, now my kids are teenagers. Now I need to have like a seminary-level hour-long sermon prepared for them each night. And, and I can just about tell if you try to have something an hour-long every night. <laughs> You're probably not going to be very consistent with that. You're not going to hang with that for long. It doesn't have to be super complicated. It can just be finding a time that works for your family, getting them together, reading through maybe a book of the Bible, maybe you read a chapter a night, half a chapter a night, just read a portion of Scripture. You can read or you can pass it around and let your kids read a verse or two each. And then just talk about it. Talk about how it applies to your life and then pray. It can be as simple and as easy as that. And yet those are times that your children are learning the Word of God, that you're teaching them diligently, as it says here. But, But, you know, even as important as that is, this next part is at least as important as that, that not only we have regular times of teaching the Word, but also we just talk about the Word. We talk about it. In verse seven, he says, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. In other words, the word of God should be the the very fabric, or we might even say the very rhythm of our household. That there's never a bad time to talk about the word. And I cannot stress to you how important this is, parents, that we look for those teachable moments in our kids' lives, And where we help them connect the dots. That the things that they're learning at church and the things that they're learning when we have our family worship times, those things actually show up in the regular course of life. That the word of God is not just compartmentalized to Sundays for you, but that your children see that, no, the word of God shapes and changes and transforms everything that my parents are trying to do. That's so vitally, vitally important. And then in verses 8 and 9, Moses says not only to teach it, not only to talk about it, but also to display it. He, he says that to bind the word on your hands, to, to put it as a front lip between your eyes. And there were some in, in, in Jewish history, of course, who took that very literally. Who put a box of scripture on their forehead. I don't think necessarily that's what the Lord is saying to do. But I do think he's saying that we need to keep the word of God in front of the eyes of our families. There's a lot of ways to do that. One of them is to literally put Scripture on the walls of your house. What better decor could you have than the life-giving Word of God that your children will regularly see? It can also be things like playing Christian music in your home, filling the atmosphere with words of praise, words that glorify God. It can be inviting people over to your home who are fellow believers. Spending, we're supposed to do that, right? Acts 2 talks about that. Spending time with brothers and sisters in the church, other people who are loving God, who are serving God hundred other ways to do it, but all of this is about creating an atmosphere where the word of God in our home is like the very air that we breathe. And when we do that, when we seek to not only know the word, but to live the word out, we are well on our way to establishing a healthy rhythm of family life. Now, of course, all of this presupposes when we talk about Sitting down and talking about the word and talking about the word when you walk by the way. All of this presupposes that as families, we actually have time to do that. That we have time to sit down with our kids and time to walk by the way with them and and to talk with them. You know, as I reflected back to our family schedule before COVID, we were honestly so busy as a family that it seemed like, it wasn't quite the case, but it seemed like almost every night of the week there was somewhere to go and somewhere to be with four boys, one of them, somebody had a music lesson, somebody had a sports practice or even a church activity, but almost every night you you can fall into this rhythm where you're scrambling after school to get out the door to something and then to get back home and get dinner and get bath and get to bed. And then you start up the next day and you do it all over again. And you rarely have any time to do anything that Deuteronomy six is talking about. And then in 2020 in March, COVID happened and like that everything in our family's schedule was gone and it was glorious (laughs) it was beautiful and we had more time last year just to be with our kids just to be home to be with them to read the word together. We we saw the relationships even between our kids improve and deepen. We saw the relationships between us and our kids strengthen and deepen, grow richer. And I attribute that just to more unhurried time together and unhurried time in the word of God together. That's why I say I don't think the Lord wants us to forget some of those lessons that we learn when we, quote, get back to normal. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that we never let our kids ever do any activities again? I don't think so. I don't think there's anything inherently evil about music lessons or sports activities or any of that. But I do think it means that we don't need to go back all the way to where we were before. And we need to make sure that we leave some margin, that we leave some time unaccounted for. Let's make sure that our lives are not so full that we don't have time for the most important things, but that we have sustainable rhythms in our family life. You, you know, when someone's running a marathon, they can't run at a sprint for 26 miles. I'm not sure if I could run at a sprint for 20 feet, but even a marathon runner couldn't run at a sprint for 26 miles, right? You have to pick a sustainable rhythm, a sustainable pace. And we know that parenting is not a sprint, is it, parents? No, it's a marathon. And we need to pick a sustainable rhythm for our family. Now that's going to look different for every family, I am sure. It will change based on the ages and the stages of your kid's life. But let's be sensitive to that as we move forward. I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe it it looks like instead of your child playing seven sports in a season, they play one. Right? Maybe it means that, okay, we're going to sit our kids down and say, okay, in the fall, we're going to do these different sports, but in the spring, we're just going to, we're just going to not. And we're going to take a season of time to just make sure we have time to be in the course of our schedule. You know, when I say all this, listen, I'm also talking about church activities as well. I'm an equal opportunity offender here this morning. Okay? Because sometimes we can be as guilty as anybody. You know, we create like 87 ministries and programs for you to be a part of. And some of y'all, because you love Jesus, you're in all 87 of them. Maybe just cutting back one or two of those. Making sure that there's time for you to be at home. To do what Deuteronomy 6 says. To teach your children in your home as you walk by the way. And as you rise up. And as you lie down. Lord, help us in 2021. In the midst of a culture that says, go, 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 do more, do more, do more, to have healthy biblical rhythms in our family life. As I've done every week in this series, I want to end with just a simple, practical question. Here's the question. What's one change God is leading you to make this week to establish a healthier, more biblical rhythm in your family life in 2021? I wanna ask you to take a minute and bow your head. I want us to ask the Lord that question together. And I I know, I'm aware that every family situation is is different. Some who are listening right now are single. Uh, Some are parents whose uh, children are grown and out of the house. Maybe some with grandparents. Some are single parents. Some have smaller kids, some have teenagers. No matter what our stage, no matter what our season of life We know, God, that you want us to honor you in that season. Right now, church, I want you to take a moment, just ask God that question. What's one change, God, you want me to make in the rhythm of my family life? I want to give you a few seconds to ask that, to hear from the Lord, and I'll pray for us. Father, we thank you today for the gift of family. We know that our families, our households, are places where you want the light of the gospel to shine. Father, we've read your word today, your pattern, your picture for the family. We know it is better. And what man has conceived and what our culture imagines, that it is right and fitting, that it is pleasing to you. Lord, would you help us to have a healthy rhythm in our family life this year? Father, help us to do that by living out the roles that you've given to each one of us in the household in a way that would please you and honor you. Lord, we need your grace to do that. Father, help us to honor the commitments that you would have us make to you, Father, first to love you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all our strength. That there would be nothing in our families, nothing in our homes that would be higher than you in our hearts. Father, may your word fill our homes this year like never before. Father, may your word wash over us. May it change the way we think, change the way we live, change the way we love, change the way we treat each other, even within the walls of our home. That everyone who might step foot in our houses this year would know that Jesus is Lord this is a place where the grace and the love of Christ permeate. And we give our homes and our families to you. May they be honoring to you this year we ask in Jesus' name.